0: Welcome to the Saturday morning meditation meetup. Um, as you might gather from what I just said, this is recorded, but if you have questions that you don't want recorded, just tell me and I'll shut off the recording while I'm answering the question. And if you can remind me afterwards to start it up again, that would be good because I often forget, um, if we all try to share that responsibility, it's more likely to happen. Um, so, uh, the way, that this, uh, the way that this normally works is, if you, if you click on the, the participants uh, button at the bottom, you'll see, and you go over to the right, you'll see that there's an option to raise your hand. So uh, the way that we normally do this is, is a Q&A. So if you have a question, you just raise your hand, and I will call on you in the order that you raised your hand, and we'll try to address your question, whatever it is. Um, I tend to be the one who does most of the talking, because I'm a loudmouth. But um, there are lots of people here who are uh, quite uh, experienced practitioners. Some of whom are probably more experienced practitioners than I am, and so uh, it's quite likely that I will ask one of them to answer your question rather than answering it myself if I think they would give you a better answer. Um, or, you know, often several of us will try to answer your question. So, um, so with that said, uh, if anybody wants to uh, raise anything please raise your hand. Uh, I think Ollie wins.
1: Great, thanks. Hello. Uh, yeah, so I, I kind of had like a question which is kind of a bit vague and I'm not quite sure exactly how to kind of ask it, but um, I've, I've recently kind of spending most of my time in sort of stage, stage five at the moment and kind of, you know, Spending and kind of spending a little bit more time doing starting up sort of the whole body breathing practice from stage six, and I'm not quite sure how to think about um, sort of introspective awareness in stage six, and um, like so, I mean, just so for example, should should checking in be- have become sort of unnecessary by stage six usually is kind of like one part of what i'm thinking and then a kind of another question i had which is sort of in the same vein is um like i'm not sure whether how like how introspective awareness should feel if anything or is it just that it's kind of only shows itself in a distraction comes in and then you notice it as soon as it appears and that's all it feels like and apart from that if you're not having any distractions, that it doesn't feel like anything. Um, just, just because I think from the, I'm, I'm kind of finding it, uh, it requires the whole body breathing requires a bit more, um, you know, sort of conscious power than the sort of stage five practice. So I think I'm kind of just adjusting to it. And as a result, sometimes there's a few more distractions that kind of get in. And I'm kind of just like, oh, I'm not, and then, yeah, so that's, it's a bit vague, but I'll, I'll leave it there Mm because I'm rambling. (laughs) I hope that makes sense.
0: Yeah, it it does. Um, And I may actually suggest that, that more than just, that more than just me give answers. But um, one thing I will say about introspective awareness is there's a tendency for people to think that you have to do introspective awareness and, and. Uh, the thing about any kind of awareness is you can't really do it. It either is happening or it's not. It's more, it's more is than, than, than is being done. Mm. Um, and so, uh, the way that you will notice introspective awareness is either that it will be functioning, it will be doing its job or it won't. And so you'll either notice that it did its job or, uh, you'll notice that something is happening that shows that it didn't do its job. Um, the actual feeling of introspective awareness is that you, for example, notice distractions as they're happening. If, if, you, if your introspective awareness is good enough to do that, you will uh, ideally notice dullness when it starts, uh, if your introspective awareness is well attuned to that. Uh, so, but it's not like um, your attention moves to the dullness. Ideally, the way that introspective awareness works is that the awareness that dullness is happening arises and the correction for awareness automatically happens. So there isn't a decision to correct for the dullness. It just happens. Mm. Um, and the reason it happens is because you've developed a habit over time of correcting in that way, using attention. So, so in other words, you, you checked in and you noticed that something was wrong and you did the appropriate thing, or you just had a moment of noticing, oh, I seem to be off track because you, you drifted for a while and then you noticed that you, that you were drifting. And at that point you're like, oh, what should I do now? And you do it. And then that process also is habit forming. And over time, then uh, the the correction will just happen automatically without you having to do that sort of, you know, what's going on here and what do I need to do process. You just know, and it just happens. So that's that's how introspective awareness develops. And it's really more of a result than a practice because you can't you can't decide to be interested. You, you can certainly intend to be introspectively aware, but but uh, whether or not it happens just depends on whether or not you're, you're, you've trained yourself well enough to do it. Um, so uh, if you find yourself getting distracted, like getting into gross distractions in the breathing with the body, um, you're probably you're probably either one or two things. You're either doing it too much, and so you're tiring yourself out mm. or, um, or you're just not quite at the stage where it's the right practice to be doing. Right. Um, it's uh, stage five and stage six practices are totally doable when you're really in stage four. It's just that they won't, they'll either be really hard to do for any, any anything more than a few moments or um, uh, you'll, just find that stage four obstacles come up. And yeah. so uh, if you find that stage four obstacles aren't coming up when you're just doing stage four practices, then it's good to do the stage five practices so you can get the obstacles to come up, but then you basically are just gonna deal with the stage four obstacle and the, the practice was just to trigger the obstacle. It's not like you need to get good at that practice yet necessarily. Right. Um, so that's my take on it. I'm actually curious to see what Gilbert and, uh, and Nate have to say about this too. Though. Gilbert, you're muted.
2: It's
3: it's practice, right? And that's I think that's the key. And um, yeah, so I think either way, either way it like it, it works or it can work, particularly if you have the right attitude with it, right? Um then you, you're seeing it as practice, as opposed to like getting too discouraged or um, beating yourself up about it. Yeah. I don't, I don't really have anything more to add in that.
4: Maybe Nate does. Yeah. I I don't really have much. It's just like, um, the only thing I'd say is I I don't know if introspective awareness actually feels like anything. Uh, I think, uh, I've heard people like trying really hard to sustain it in the past. And I think that's actually a little bit harmful. Like, uh, they visualize it as a bubble that's out there and they have to sustain that bubble. And, um, I think that's what you probably don't want Um, anything else. Like uh, I think is, well, it's, it's, it's a little bit, I I think introspective awareness is a little bit hard to grasp at at first because it's just, it's not very intuitive. Like attention is very easy to grasp, but awareness is like, Oh, is it, is it there? Is it, is it not there? Um, What does it feel like? Am I doing it right? Um, I think over time, it should become more clear. Um, Yeah. That's sorry. Yeah. That's
1: that's all I had.
0: That was great. Thank you.
1: My, my experience doing, um, stage stage when I was, when I was in sort of stage four is that I was kind of, I found the checking in incredibly useful and it was, it felt, uh, it was kind of like, you know, I'd I'd like ring the bell of like the check-in and then it would kind of continue ringing for a little while and I could go back to the breath and while it was kind of still ringing, then any distractions would be caught and eventually I would ring it and it would just kind of keep ringing for ages. And I kind of just didn't, had to stop, didn't have to worry about it anymore. And I, I find that the kind of, or if someone's like switching up to kind of stage five and especially sort of stage six practices, the duration has sort of shrunk a little bit again. So I ring it and then I'm kind of like using a lot of power to kind of focus on, you know, the, the, do the whole body breathing. And then, yeah, that. So I mean, I'm just wondering whether, but, uh, th- but then it kind of, my, my, Conception of sort of stage six was that the checking in wouldn't be. That's not like a stage six practice. Uh, so I was just thought, sort of kind of thinking, is it is it worth? Is it still? St- I don't know. Yeah. Is is it worth kind of still doing the check-ins in stage six because it feels helpful? Um, Generally
0: yeah. speaking, if it feels helpful, it's probably worth doing. Yeah. Um, okay. What you just described, ringing the bell and then and then you know the tone continues for a while. That's basically introspective awareness. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: great.
0: Yeah. Okay. I would just, you know, play around with this and be experimental. See what happens if you don't check in, see what happens if you do check in, checking in is a distraction, right? So ideally (sighs) it's a gross distraction. So ideally you don't want to have to check in, but if you have to check in and it's helping you to, to do the practice, then check in until you don't need to anymore.
1: Okay, cool. All right. Thanks guys. Sure. Helpful.
0: Okay. Nobody else has their hand up.
4: Nate, yeah, this is not really a practice question. So, anybody, if, if anybody else has one, feel free to jump in. Um, Ted, do you know much about the diamond approach? Ah, so um, a
0: couple of things about the diamond approach. So that's that's uh, what's his name? Um, it's got a really interesting name, which I'm totally failing to come up with.
4: Elmas. AH
0: Elmas, right? Thank you. Yeah. So. He tends to want people to do all of their growing up before they wake up. Um, And uh, I've talked to people who've done the diamond approach, and their general experience is frustration. Um, This is not to say that it's a bad approach in general, but it seems likely that he's going a little bit uh, far in the direction of of saying, wait. and, you know, that might be a reaction to having seen too many people not wait and, and have that turn out to be a bad thing or I don't know what. But yeah, I, I, uh, I think he's a really uh, brilliant guy. I've, I really enjoy listening to him talk when, he, when I listen to his talks. Um, and uh, I think that there's probably some real value in his approach, but I don't think it's the complete answer.
4: Yeah, did you guys do anything like that in the Finder's course?
0: No, okay. but but Finder's course people are interested in his stuff, so like he he gets a lot of a lot of press in the Finder's course discussion groups, because because what he's saying in the diamond the diamond way is totally relevant after awakening.
4: Yeah, I think what you said makes a lot of sense, um, especially yeah. after. Yep. Yeah, I'm not sure about before, but yeah. Well, I mean, his goal
0: is to avoid having somebody, it's, it's age almost, a. let me just type it into the chat. Uh, his goal is to avoid having people uh, have bad experiences when they have their awakening. And I totally am in agreement with that goal. I'm just not sure that his method is, is um, absolutely necessary as a way to reach that goal.
3: Bad experiences getting to awakening, or bad experiences after
0: awakening. Bad experiences in the sense of of like, you know, having a having a profound insight into subtle impermanence without having the uh, the accompanying insight into uh, into emptiness. the lack of self or emptiness, and consequently just freaking out and having a really bad, like you know, month or a year or three years before the before the no self realization finally you know, kicks in.
3: So a, a dark night. Yes. Dark like a dark true night dark or just,
0: night. Yeah, you know, either a dark night or just a, well, dark, you know, dark nights, as far as I can tell, aren't actually necessary. Um,
3: well, it depends so, how you define, like, yeah, how you're defining a dark night, I so, think, right? And that that yeah. term is, can be so overused.
0: Right. So Chuladasa makes a distinction which I find useful between um, a, a, an actual dark night, which is dysfunctional, and uh, what is described in the progress of insight as the knowledges of suffering. Um, And uh, so the knowledges of suffering can either be experienced as, you know, oh, my God, I'm suffering. This is terrible. Uh, What do I do? And this goes on for however long, and that's a dark night. Or they can be experienced as, oh, my God, look at all of these ways that suffering can happen. And I've been doing this all my life. And that's basically the that's the what are the I can't remember which of the four noble truths that is, but it's basically that one. Um, you know, when you when you see the truth of suffering. So so, right. So the Dukkha, yeah right. Thank you. <laughs> Obviously, so the dukkhanas are basically the realization of the truth of suffering, or they're a deep experiential uh, dive into the truth of suffering that you would like to avoid if at all possible, and so the diamond way is, is one way of avoiding them. Um and if you look at so so like the Finders in the Finders course, Jeffrey actually has has the protocol very much set up to try to prevent any sort of uh dark night experience from happening. Um and uh you know Chula Dasa's theory was that uh is that uh if you you know get your purifications over with in stage four you know, like the really major ones, then the chances of you having a dark night when you get to stage six or seven is a lot less. And then, you know, uh, Brittany, uh, uh, what's her name? Uh, Willoughby Britton. Willoughby Britton. Sorry, yeah, <laughs> that's why I couldn't remember. Willoughby Britain has done a bunch of research on this that I think is, is worth checking into if you find this an interesting topic. She tends to be uh, on the side of oh my God, this is a disaster. Let's be very careful about avoiding it. And there's a reason why she feels that way, which is that she went through a dark night. Um, so uh, so she's very, very motivated to, to help people to avoid going through dark nights and, and doing some really interesting research on that topic.
4: Well, at what point do we call it a dark night or not? So I think
0: it's a dark night if... Um, if you're stuck in it, right? Like if you're, if, if you're, if you're like objectively aware of the suffering, even if it's actual suffering, um, that's very different than if you're not aware than if you're, if you're subjectively aware of the suffering because you're, you're suffering, but you have no objectivity about it. And so, yeah. yeah.
3: I, I think it's, it's with your, when you're stuck in it, you internalize it and you, internalize either things about you or about your world and you there's no objectivity you're yeah mm-hmm. you are just stuck yeah and you yeah you're kind of
0: yeah yeah i mean if you want a description of of what the dark night is like for for a lot of people who land in it um there was a post on uh uh tmi within the past week where somebody was asking about it and they described the symptoms in a way that I think is, is pretty typical. Um, I, he's, this, this guy is not the first person that I've heard describe their symptoms this way. And I know a guy who's been going through a dark night for the last, well, as long as I've known him, which I've probably known him for about a year and a half, uh, he landed in a dark night. That's how I got to know him because he was desperate for help. And I was like, I really wanted to help him. If I could, I haven't succeeded. Um, it seems like, He's experiencing the symptoms of the dark night less than he was when we started, but I really don't know if I've helped him or if it's just like the fact that he's got a shoulder to cry on that's helping him. So (laughs) it's a hard problem, but it does seem like, uh, I mean, you know, it can go on for a really long time, but, but uh, it's, it, it, it does seem like a lot of people pop out on their own after, after a few years, if they haven't gotten help sooner than that.
4: Yeah, in my experience, I don't know, I just sort of, just sort of digest more and more of it and mm-hmm. you, you become less and less uh, subject to it after yeah. a while.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've gone through periods where like this massive dread comes up and, um, and it's really quite unpleasant, but um, because of where I am, it's unpleasant and I'm like, wow, that's really unpleasant. Isn't that interesting? What's going on? not, Oh my God, the world is ending. (laughs) And, you know, I think it can be like that for, for somebody Uh, or worse yet, the world will never end. (laughs) Right. You know, like the guy, the guy that I was talking about on, on Reddit, um, one of the things that really causes him massive dread is eternity. Right. It's like, you know, some people would really like to be able to say, Oh yeah, there's, you know, eternity. Like I, I don't have to worry because eternity, but, you know, if you're going to suffer for eternity, maybe that's not so good. So.
4: Yeah, well, I, I don't want to scare anybody, but uh, m- most people that I met doing like that had significant insights or just had to go through very difficult periods.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: I don't know if that's true and people you talk to? Uh,
0: I think my experience has been that that's a relative minority of people. Um, I think that people who do uh, Progressive Insight tend to be overrepresented in terms of that experience. Um, but you know, who am I to say? I mean, I, so I've, I've talked to a lot of people who've been through the Finders course, and some of them do have pretty negative experiences, but they're very much the minority. Um, and, you know, I've also heard of people having bad experiences uh, doing TMI, but the bad experiences tend to be relatively brief if they were actually doing TMI. So, but that doesn't mean that, that we shouldn't be concerned about this and that we shouldn't be prepared to help people when they have problems, because, you know, very clearly people do have problems. And, you know, I mean, I'm curious to know, like, like is there any commonality among the people that you know of who had problems?
4: I don't know if there's commonality. Um, th- these are people that did TMI, mm. um, I, and I was surprised because I was like, "Oh, well, if you have um, you have good uh, levels of uh, samatha, you should be able to deal with it easier."
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Then, um, but yeah, I, I don't know if that's the if that was the case for them. I don't know. Mm. And th- these are these are like five-ish people. These are not like a hundred-ish people. These are just like a okay. small handful. So.
0: One thing that that uh, Willoughby has observed, which I think is interesting and useful, is that um, some meditation practices that work really well for some people are exactly the wrong thing for other people to do. Um, So TMI, if you're really um, goal oriented and kind of uh, uh, a little bit obsessive, um, is probably not a good practice to do. and I wonder if that might be part of what leads somebody who's doing TMI to have a bad experience, although I don't know. I mean, Because I've definitely, when I first started doing TMI, I was, I was actually pretty, pretty manic about the practice. And, um, and it still was beneficial for me because I don't think I went too far off the deep end, but, um, but definitely there were a whole bunch of behaviors that I was doing that wound up creating a lot of stress for me. And once I realized that I was doing them and that they were creating stress, I stopped. And a lot of the reason why I tend to, you know, I sometimes get criticized for going a little bit too far over in the direction of like, don't effort is because of that, because I felt like I found myself really massively over-efforting and creating a lot of pain for myself in the process.
4: Um, Yeah. I think it can really play into some people's uh, blind spots. mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, to be fair, Charlotte Catherine, I think in her book, she says like, uh, how much effort should I use? She's like, Oh, normally you could like try to have, Half your effort, and you would probably still be fine. You, know, mm-hmm. you could keep having it till yeah. a yeah.
1: What did you uh, join? If I ask Ted, what, what did you? How did you change your practice when you, if you kind of realized that you were over-efforting?
0: Yeah, that's a good question because it's difficult to stop once you've started. And what I wound up doing is basically spending quite a bit of time. Uh, well, actually, part of it was that I was doing the finders course, and uh, but also part of it was that I spent a certain amount of time. Uh, probably on the order of a month or two, just doing something like Shinsen Young's do-nothing practice. Um, and that that helped me to just break the, not so much break the habit, as just like stop reinforcing the habit of over-efforting. And then once I started doing the practice again, my problem became under-efforting, which I think is a much less bad problem. <laughs> so uh, Schultz, do you have your hand up? Schultz?
5: Yeah, hi. I, uh, I could just confirm I had the same experience, Ted, as you. I, I spent a month and a half after. So I was doing TMI, and I was probably over-efforting quite a bit. Uh, and a month and a half of open awareness uh, turned it into under-efforting, which became a problem for maybe a month or so afterwards, uh, just because I, I had totally forgotten what it, how much effort I was putting into TMI. And it turned out that I was supposed to put in quite a bit more than I was after the open awareness. Uh, but I found a balance after that because I'd seen both ends of the spectrum. So that was really useful.
0: Mm-hmm.
5: Uh, my question is about um, jhanas, So I'm hoping that uh, somebody right here, maybe Jan, or, uh, or uh, I'm not sure who else, uh, might be able to help me. I'm curious how to deepen fourth jhana. Uh, it seems like there's not the object is a lot more um, I don't know subtle there than the other jhanas. So I don't find it like I just can't really get a handle on how to deepen it that well. Uh, and I just sit in it, but it never really goes much deeper. But uh, the other genres have a much clearer object, like I just focus on joy or pleasure or, or this like contentment feeling. Uh, and those are easy enough to focus on or, or like sort of make the, uh, make the object of my awareness, attention thing. Uh, and those go deeper. But the, the fourth one, it seems like I have to like build the deepness up in first, second and third and then go into fourth. And I'm just kind of stagnating in fourth. I'd like to know if there's a way to do better than that.
6: Um, to be honest, I usually don't go further than fourth, so um, I can't really help with this.
5: Um, oh, well, I'm actually thinking about fourth, not any further than fourth.
6: Okay, so y- you weren't talking about, like, um, all right. Um, well, then, in in that case, um, what I usually do, or what usually helps in my experience, is then in the third, there's still, like, um this this happiness or this joy you can maybe call it and um for me if if i'm in the third jhana it feels still a bit like not completely satisfying and um that really helped me to go into the fourth jhana by seeing this and then um trying to like just let it go just just because it feels unsatisfying, it's easier to let it go. And then you go to a more equanimous state. That's how I, that's what happens in my experience.
5: Yeah, that's similar for me, how I get into Fortran. Uh Once you're in it, do you, uh, ah. you have any means of deepening it?
6: Um, no, because usually, um, I, I don't stay there too long and I, I don't do a lot of jhanas anymore, so um, I, I
5: yeah. I remember you, Jan, you were into them for uh, a while. You talk about them every week. I'm curious what you were using them for. What was the like? What were they a means to?
6: Um, they were a means to get to effortlessness, and just to like get concentrated enough to get into effortlessness, and then um, go to more of, of a vipassana um, meditation or like stage eight nine practices.
5: Yeah, okay. That's more
0: or less what I'm doing. Yeah.
7: Shreelok? You're muted.
0: I'll unmute Am I? You. Okay. I just unmuted you.
7: Hey, all right. Uh, hi. Uh, thanks for inviting me to this forum. Uh, sure. So I've been like meditating like almost for like a couple of years and I have maintained consistency in my practices. I do a daily practice and try to keep it almost like one and a half to two hours uh, split between like morning and evening. Um, uh, but like, unfortunately, like I don't, I don't, I'm not able to see much progress, despite that kind of a diligence that I'm putting in the last couple of years. Uh, I think a couple of things that I observe while um while meditating is uh, i can't can't breathe like right belly like it there's something something constricting in my belly Uh, it doesn't let full breath to get in Uh, that is some my observation um the observation is as i like keep observing my breath i could sustain my attention to my breath uh, through the session uh, with minimal distractions uh, however i don't see the breath or quality of breath changing much uh, through the session uh, it I, I, so by that i mean like i don't know how it feels uh, as we kind of progress in meditation how the breath changes with meditation uh, I've not seen any purifications come up as such, which means like any, any emotions rising. Um, so I, I do feel that there's something that's, that's not going right. Uh, I have digestion problem.
0: Uh, Shilak, I don't know if you can hear me, but you're, you, uh, you just froze. Uh, okay. I guess we'll have to wait for Shreelok to come back. Um, does anybody want to bring something up while we're waiting? John, did you have something?
8: Oh, I just wanted to say, hello. This is my first time here. I'm a, a fellow Vermonter, ah. uh, Ted, um, and, uh, I live up uh, north of you. So I know you're up, are you person, yeah. Right. Okay. So it's i uh, I've enjoyed following you on, uh, on the, um, uh TMI. Are you the moderator on the t- or? I'm
0: a moderator, yeah.
8: Uh, yeah, yeah. So on Reddit, yeah. So it's been great. So um, anyway, I just uh, wanted to check this out. I've got, I got so much stuff to like talk about. You know, I don't want to <laughs> take up the whole time, but in brief, I, I started I picked up a TMI in February. A colleague at work left it on a desk, and I just started flipping through it, and I was like, wow, oh, this looks pretty good. ordered a copy, and now I have a, you know, two-hour-a-day practice, and, you know, um, although it, I didn't stick with TMI exclusively, I've gone a number of different ways, and um, I did about three months of that, maybe the stage four, and then I kind of switched to doing more of Shenzhen's, more kind of noting practice. I kind of, you do all this reading, and you read about, you know, shamada and then the approximate, and then you should do this first or that first or the, you know it, 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 there's a lot out there It's great but it's been fantastic to try to learn and absorb all this stuff and then uh but things really took off when i actually did um you were who was mentioning the um jhana practices i did uh i started I, I was on vacation about a month ago and i picked i had picked up lee Bradenton's jana book and uh started doing them and i my concentration was like in the tmi I, are not it's, a, it's very very slow. I'm not a naturally good concentrator, and and, a, and a, the, the that's one reason I probably switched to more noting. But for some reason, the Jana stuff was has really taken off, and 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 it's unusual because the you know the TMI the way Chula does has it set up. It's you know you get to like maybe stage what's it stage six, so you could do the whole body Janas, in stage seven you might do the pleasure jhana's in then stage eight. I don't know if that's exactly right. I can't memory search on the back and look and then the luminous jhanas, but for some reason I've been able to get into them relatively much more. I was surprised that it for me and I just may be a relative strength but rather, rather, you know, I don't know. Um, and, um, so, but it, it is kind of unusual. I don't, it, it was kind of a surprise. And then the other surprise was the most reliable way for me to get into them is using the meta practice, which was kind of new also. And I kind of, have dismissed meta practice when I first read about it because it kind of it's like really you just sit around and wish people goodwill and that's going to be like something kind of a big deal until I actually started doing it and I was like oh wow this I feel you know the kind of glowing feeling and stuff like that it was like very surprising that's kind of in a nutshell how things have gone I wonder about deepening the I I am such a rookie with the um jhana practices that uh you know, the time that I've gotten into fourth jhana more deeply was when I got into the first jhana, really, really, you know, when everything was really rocking. And then I kind of, everything, I was just much more absorbed in the early jhanas, I think, um, this is still new, you know. So, and then when I got to the fourth, it was much deeper than usual. And then I came out, and then I kind of transitioned to doing more noting after that. And It was like, you know, I couldn't feel my body. I mean, it was just crazy, you know. And then that's kind of the first experience that i had with you know and i can go and instead of a half an hour or 40 minutes i can go i can sit for an hour and it's not a problem so it's a lot of, a lot of stuff has really taken off so that kind of spurred me to finally join on you know you know start <laughs> coming on here and maybe seeing what else other people are talking about and if this is an unusual kind of uh path it, it, it's, it's very unexpected for me um um and but it's been great um uh, another thing i was wondering about on somebody else had noted with dark night and feelings you know as an older i'm 52 so i'm I'm probably coming at this starting this older than some folks i you know online there's a lot of folks who are younger you know uh but there's some older folks too um and i wonder i've had a a kind of a family history and some of my own history of some anxiety and depression things like that and over the years i did a lot of therapy and, and stuff and i wonder nowadays there's been a lot more discussion about the interface between say psychology and and meditation and you know, how do you work with these um really negative feelings and you know
7: uh,
8: how do you you know stuff that might be in the dark night is that you know what what's that all about? Is it you know, through one other lens you might think it's depression or anxiety or you know, just angst or things like that. So, um but I, I wonder whether I, I haven't had a lot of problems with that stuff, but I wonder if I've also spent a good amount of time dealing with my uh, what do you call them when they come up, uh, in the fourth state in the purifications uh, purifications. Yeah. I wonder whether or not, you know, I don't know, although, you know, ask me in a month or a year and see what purifications, maybe I, maybe I'm overestimating (laughs) what I've worked on, but I wonder if folks have had experiences with doing, you know, some pre-intensive psychotherapy over years before they start their practice rather than the other way around where some people do a meditation practice and they might have to get their own therapy to deal with some of the stuff that might come up because I know Chula Das had, had done a uh, had been doing his own therapy and stuff like that, and um, you know it's an interesting kind of interface where you, you know what what can help with what and stuff. So I'll yeah. stop now. That was a <laughs> hello to everybody. Uh, uh, I don't know if it, if anybody had any comments, but that's that's where I am. It's nice to meet you all.
0: So John, one thing to say about that is that that's actually exactly what we were talking about with the diamond way earlier, right? The diamond way overemphasizes doing, doing sort of, sort of digging, digging in and and unearthing stuff before awakening. Um, you know, you can also overemphasize awakening before digging in and working on stuff. Uh, both of those I think are, are bad choices. After you've had an awakening, um, your ability to notice stuff can change. Um, Oops, I think we lost John. Oh, he's back. Yeah. So, so after awakening, uh, your ability to notice uh, triggers can change, and particularly if you if you get to something like fourth path, um, I think your ability to to notice that you have a blind spot is reduced by the fact that the blind spot is just not causing you any pain, and it's difficult to to experience any kind of discomfort as a result of Uh, of your blind spot. So, uh, so that's why, like, I mean, John actually wound up, wound up going into therapy because he needed to unearth some stuff and it wouldn't surprise me if some of the stuff that's happened recently is a result of what's been unearthed. So that is, you know, the fact that we started hearing about some things that he was doing that weren't, you know, entirely in keeping with, with, uh, the outward, uh, impression he was giving. Right uh, those may have been revealed partly as a result of of this digging in. so anyway, um let's get back to Ssrilock uh so Srilock can you can you hear okay?
7: Yeah, yeah okay yeah. I, I so, think I lost electricity this side, so ah, sorry
0: I'll do it so so let me ask you a question what practice what stage of practice are you doing right now?
7: uh so I. AMI, uh, although I've gone through the instructions and uh, I kind of follow like best of two worlds essentially look at, I've been on a Vipassana retreat um, and then I've done a, another three day Vipassana retreat last year. So mm-hmm. it's predominantly like anapana sati. and okay. then all right, I so like uh, try to, yeah.
0: So, so uh, this is, I, I, My initial diagnosis of what you've described is that you're in stage end of stage four, um, and you're experiencing stage four subtle dullness, and that's why you're not experiencing any further uh, uh, movement. Uh, In addition, it sounds like you actually are having a purification. The description that you gave of, of your breathing actually sounds like a purification to me purifications can often come up energetically, that you don't, you don't have like some knowledge that, you know, oh, somebody beat me up when I was in grade school and that's why I'm feeling this way. No, you just have like this feeling of tension in your belly or in your chest or some part of your body. And uh, so, so what you described there actually sounds very much like a stage four purification, which it sounds like isn't necessarily um, uh, being processed because you're a little stuck so uh, so, I would say that your your next step should be to try and get unstuck and so i would I would be working on uh I would suggest that you work on stage five practices and see what happens. see if you notice what you probably notice is that you'll suddenly start having a lot more distraction in your meditation. Do not take that as a, as an indication of failure um, uh, what that really means is that you now have a little bit more energy in your meditation, and as a result um, you know things that would have distracted you before, but weren't because you were just kind of low energy are now gonna distract you. And now you just need to get a little better at dealing with distractions. So you'll wind up essentially going back to stage four and doing some more stage four work. And there'll be a little bit of a back and forth on that practice. So what I would suggest you do uh, short term is just try to do the stage five practice and, and just see what happens to your energy level and your level of distraction and then come back next week and tell us what, what happened. Um, and we may be able to get more of a handle on it. The other thing I will say is uh, the more you're able to just like show up for these meetings and listen to what other people are saying, the more that's gonna feed in to your own experience, right? So you know, the, I don't know if you're familiar with the, with the Dharma wheel, do you know what I'm talking about? The, nope. So the, the idea with the wheel of the, of, of the Dharma is basically that, that uh, it's like a gear. And so, so when you're alone, you're just like spinning on your own and there's nothing, there's nothing to put anything in. But as soon as you start hanging yeah. out with people who are also practicing, then you get this group, uh, you know, everybody's Sangha. turning everybody else's wheel. Sangha. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. so showing up for, for meetups like this can be really helpful. Even, even if you don't actually, you know, you can just sit and, and, and listen to people or you can ask questions either way
7: is good. Uh, yeah, surely. I'll continue uh, to be consistent on these calls. Yeah. Thanks so much. Good. Yeah. So,
0: all right. Uh, looks like Jan has a question.
6: It's not necessarily a question, but, um, I think it's, it's nice to just share my experience. Um, and it's actually um, a pretty rough batch that I'm going through because, um, as you, uh, probably know I'm doing more of a like emotional body scanning, energy body scanning to deepen, uh, inside. Um, and I also uh, stumbled upon, um, the bio emotive framework of, um, Douglas something. I forget his last name. Um, yeah. And, um, yeah, at first I, I saw, um, like feelings of, uh, being insignificant um and um well that that was still fine and okay and i started coming up and um dealing with that and then after that um it kind of cleared away and i felt like very equanimous for a long period where if i sat down like it was just super spacious and everything was fine um and then suddenly it all shifted again and I saw feeling, feelings of loneliness um, inside of me and that like uh, was right in the belly, like this knot. Um, and I'm still experiencing that. Um, so, um, and in this case, I've been like crying for the last five days each time I meditate. Um, and it's what's mostly like, On the cushion i think it's fine it's the most intense on the cushion um but it's fine because like just accept it and then cry and then usually that's good but mostly off the cushion it's a bit like weird um because it's harder to do like the normal stuff you would normally do uh, like work related stuff or stuff like that um yeah so that, that that has been going on it's i don't think i've like had this of a rough patch in my whole like meditation career um and yeah, it's pretty intense um and uh, now it's like um so this feeling in my stomach, but also sometimes feeling of insignificance also comes up again, and that's more in my heart, so it's like switching between my heart and stomach, and then just like those feelings there, and then, yeah, my practice is mainly just acknowledge, accept, and then be with it, and then every time our distractions, just go back to the sensations themselves. And then usually I have to cry. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, yeah, what's been going on. Maybe somebody has like something interesting to say about it.
0: Um, so, uh, probably several of us will have something interesting to say about it. Uh, one question that comes to my mind is like, um, w- when, when it comes up, is it just there and you're sort of acknowledging and accepting and letting it be, or are you investigating it?
6: I'm investigating it,
0: okay. And so when you investigate it, do you find that there's something to investigate or is it sort of like you just can't get a handle on it?
6: Mm, it's not really, a, yeah, I can't really get a handle of it, on it. It's more like investigating the feelings, like, oh, like, what does mm-hmm. it feel like more? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just like, those feelings and like trying to keep on being
0: interested in those feelings. Um, Have you tried doing any sort of self-inquiry on it? Like, um, you know, asking the question, like when you're feeling lonely, asking the question, why is this bad, for example, or what is it that I wish were happening or, you know, just sort of dig in with, with actual questions. I haven't done that. No. Mm. You might try that. Um, you might find that it pops something open and and you have a lot more crying, but uh, it might be helpful too. Um, And then also like, what is your life like? I mean, are, are you alone? Um, well, no.
6: Um, so at the moment, um, I live with like my friends and Mm -hmm. uh, roommates. So like there are, most of the time people around and I do have a girlfriend as well. She's only traveling, um, uh, at the moment. So maybe that's also what's causing it. Um, that could be the case. Um, but
0: yeah, normally
6: I'm not like a lonely person. Mm-hmm.
0: So, um, one thing to look into is, uh, it can be the case that you basically have sort of, uh, what appears to be everything you need, but, um, at some point you have, Enough uh, clarity about what's going on that you that you start to notice that there's something that's not working um, and that can be uh, that can create some pretty strong negative feelings. It can be helpful to get in touch with what's not working and and to not be hopeless about it because often if you actually get in touch with what's not working, you can figure out a way to fix it but if you if you if all you have is like this sort of subtle feeling that there's something not working, that you may not even identify as a feeling that something's not working, then um then you don't have any way to do anything about it. And so it just persists. Uh, so that would be another thing to think about. Um, but so that's those are kind of the suggestions that I have. I don't know if they help.
6: Um, I have one question on like the self-inquiry, like what kind of questions? Um, is it like a specific set of questions or is it more like
0: Um, So with self-inquiry, basically the trick is to come up with a question that's, that's related to what's going on and that feels like it might lead somewhere. And then you ask that question and you see what comes up. And a lot of times as a result of what our, whatever comes up, uh, like it'll change your perspective a little bit. And then a new question will seem like it can be asked. And so the trick is basically just to keep asking those questions um, until you, and, and kind of probe down into what's going on uh, until you, you, you'll never get to the bottom of it, right? Because there isn't a bottom. But but what can happen is that, is that as you do that, you basically wind up wandering down this path that you didn't even realize was there until you started asking questions. And at some point as you're wandering down the path, like everything kind of shifts a little bit. And then, you know, then you you might, start a new inquiry process, but, uh, but it can be, it can be really helpful for, for, uh, for integrating. All
6: uh, right. and also what I didn't mention was the feelings of loneliness. Also, um, what comes up is more like a sense of people dying around me, like, mm-hmm. Close,
0: close mm-hmm. People dying around me. so that's also, uh, maybe. Random. Yeah. So that's, that's, uh, so when did this start?
6: Mm, five days ago or something or so. All right, okay, so, so, so um, one
0: other thing to suggest as a correlation is uh, I started having feelings like that after I found out about Chuladasa, because I know Chuladasa pretty well, and um, I know enough about his mental state and his physical state to know that part of what's going on is the aging process and that Chuladasa is not going to be with us indefinitely, and this is making that more real. Uh, and so it could be that that's affecting you on an unconscious level. Um, if you've, if you've had also heard similar news, um, hmm. so just another thing, cause basically one of the problems that we have with this practice is that we tend to think that it's promising to solve all of our problems and, you know, and to permanently solve all of our problems. And, uh, and that feels like it's the whole point of the practice. And then if we discover suddenly that, that, Oh, well, actually there's this thing that it doesn't solve that can be really, um, challenging on a very deep level because, because we still have this refuge, this feeling of refuge and the idea that like, if I can just reach, like, for example, if I can reach a uh, fourth path, then I won't have any problems anymore. That's really not how it works, but we tend to think that even on a deep level, we tend to think that. And so, so having it revealed that, no, actually, you're still going to get old and die, and some of that process is probably not going to be fun unless you get lucky and get hit by a truck instead, um, <laughs> which, you know, don't, don't do that. But, um, but uh, having, that, having that realization on a deep gut level can be quite disquieting, and it can, it can definitely lead to feelings like the ones you're describing. And I can say personally that I have, I have also had feelings like that come up in the last week and a half because of that, I think are related to this. I'm a little closer to it than you are. So it's perhaps more obvious to me.
6: I don't think it's, it could be something else. Maybe, um, Mm -hmm. but that's a bit, yeah, something private, but, um, yeah. All right. And maybe someone else. um.
3: Yeah, John. Um, so one, thank you very much for sharing. Um, because this is something that. I think we all go through at different times. And um, sometimes um, meditation frameworks are not always like the best way to think about things <laughs> or like, yeah, let me just use more, use more meditative stuff. Um, I mean, I think meditation is incredibly valuable. And, um, but I guess it's it's not, it is not like a, always uh, sort of a a cure-all for everything, right? Um, But from a meditative perspective, I mean, I, from an advice perspective, I'd be thinking um, about maybe Metta, but but yeah, and I think a lot of what you're talking about is just stuff that we all have to differing degrees and we have, you know, different things that, um, different conditioning, things from, our childhood, things from earlier in our life, things from currently in our life, um, where we have to deal with it and accept and come to some sort of resolution, right? Or coming to a newfound understanding. Um, And it sounds like you're approaching it with a pretty good perspective, right? It doesn't, you know, you're not getting at least too lost in it. It sounds like it's challenging, um, which, I mean, makes sense. Like when this stuff comes up, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, you're, you're dealing with something um, and you're, you're facing something that maybe without these skills, you would just run away from, you would just completely suppress, uh, avoid somehow numb out, dull out something. Um, So yeah, I think, uh, one of the things that, that uh, it almost seems like gets missed in these communities or it can get missed is that, yeah, we're all human, you know, we, we, we are human beings. Um, and just sitting with that, being with that, right? Yeah, we will die, but like, um yeah, sitting with that, and then, of course, also that, that sitting with that in community, right, in relationship. Um, and, yeah, what you're describing, I was definitely thinking about, like, kind of um, either attachment stuff or just early, you know, early childhood relation stuff where, you know, times like where you felt insignificant, right, where you felt like no one was attuning to you, Um or comforting you or supporting you. Um, And for that, what what also came to my mind was, um, you know, George Haas and Dan Brown. They, uh, I guess, I think it was Dan Brown who sort of developed what's called an ideal parent figure protocol. Um, And it's where you are doing an imaginative practice, imagining yourself as a child receiving the, you know, perfect, um, you know, that's completely, it's, it's, it's attuned and it's directed to your individualized needs. Um, and I, something like that could be super helpful. So I, I would think that like different more heart practices um, would be kind of more helpful. And that also, and also, of course, including just other ranges of things that, um, can be very helpful just you know spending time with supportive people and just you know enjoying that and the presence of that or um, you know having having conversations with people and saying oh yeah you're you're, you're really important to me um, and just yeah I was like so so taking a, making sure that you take a more a comprehensive perspective as, a, as opposed to necessarily like um, I'm just going to concentrate my way through it, or somehow, um, we we all have a lot of different experiences, and there's a lot of different kind of ways at um, uh, getting or catalyzing the healing process, so just explore, be open to um, trying different approaches to kind of yeah help out and, and then and then going back to that we're all human. Um, you know just that the importance of relationships community connecting with people that's yeah i think that's that's uh that's so important and sometimes that meditative framework right like trying to approach things in an isolated way um just falls short
6: yeah yeah thanks um yeah i'll i'll definitely consider more matha um or something like that but I do think like the the most part hard part right now is like it seems also with more like um insights, you it's easier to like um deal with this stuff on the cushion at least. Um but off the cushion it's sometimes like harder, I think still. And when you have to do like work. Like yeah. Work with like a lot of anger <laughs> or <laughs> sadness or something like that it's like ah uh well this is uh, a bit harder um, well
3: it's it's where the rubber meets the road right that's the practice in life right i mean that's so much more valuable than like okay yeah yeah yeah. when i'm you know i'm retreating a little bit from life for time I mean, we need some of that retreating some some time to kind of you know maybe get quiet but Yeah, where the most difficult stuff is where you are meeting life and and meeting experience. The whole catastrophe of living, I guess.
0: Slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. So, uh, uh, sorry, I was going to say something that I blanked on it. Um, Yeah. Uh, Colleen, do you want to...
9: Um, if if I think Nate has his hand raised I don't have any suggestions for Jen but I have a question that has arisen from the conversation so if Nate has something he that is more directly directed to John
4: yeah I, I can go really quick just uh, a few quick comments Um. So, uh, man, no, I, I feel you, dude. Um, I've been through pretty rough patches too, um, especially off the cushion. I think that's where it's, things are the toughest. Um, when you got other things you got to deal with, um, okay. So a few things I think, so what, uh, so, okay. Let's talk about on the cushion first. Um, normally this type of thing for me, it changes a lot throughout time. So like the first two days, it could be one thing and you just look at it, ask a question, see where it's coming from, what it wants that type of thing and it can become another thing like two days later and then one day later it maybe becomes something else. So I just want to let you um, in my experience like um, so don't be surprised if it changes and also like uh, I don't know if you did the biomotive framework like guided by someone or like on your own. my um, uh, um, own. So. Yeah. So I think I don't, really know that deep about the Biomotive Framework. I think so I think it sort of evolved from focusing. And what focusing um so there, there are parts I really like about the Biomotive Framework. Of course like I don't know much about it. But I think it sort of is a little bit um prescriptive at times. It gives you like the nine core feelings and it says like, oh it's you're probably gonna hit one of these. And I think those are awesome guidelines. But typically go more by the focusing type of thing which is you just sort of go into the emotion and ask it what what it is about um what are you feeling why are you feeling it where is this coming from is this related to something in your past like or just like whatever arise arise. arising normally when you go into the feeling things become more intuitive it's sort of like the emotion wants to go downhill or something and it will naturally reach something and so normally i do that and if i get stuck like you could use some of the other concepts and the bound mode of things to help you with. But like what in my experience, it just sometimes it goes into really interesting directions that I wouldn't expect. Like sometimes it goes into memory in, my, in middle school. Sometimes at, then I look at that memory for a little bit and feel the emotion with it and try to like just hold that feeling. And sometimes it goes back into even earlier. Or sometimes it goes into something else and um yeah and yeah that type of stuff and the the other thing is like my personal feeling about these emotions right now is they're sort of like um trapped energies in your body like it's almost as if like your body has like very subtle tension somewhere that's like holding on to them so like anger um anxiety uh frustration like there's some very very subtle tension there so like what I've been trying to do is sort of just ask myself, what am I feeling? Uh, Why am I feeling it? And can I like let it go and can I relax it? And normally like if I'm able to successfully do that, I can feel it like uh, the energy like dissipating. Sometimes it just like dissolves and flows into other areas of my body. Sometimes it just like fuzzes and vibrates and sometimes it doesn't go away, but it's like slightly easier to deal with. And to go along with that, um, uh, okay, yeah, Rodrigo. Yeah, that is, that is right. Um, the, the one, one thing that has really helped me too is just like doing yoga. Cause it, I think like, uh, having that flexibility in my body and having that awareness really, really helps. I, I'm still not good at it. And by yoga, I don't mean like the, the hip stuff, like you hot yoga or like, um, some vinyasa flow. Like, I don't mean that. I mean like the, the, the more traditional type where you go into one posture, um, you sort of like breathe deeply into like your body and the parts that are being stretched and that type of stuff. Yeah. So that's, that's what really helps for me. Yeah. And I, I don't, I don't think I have all the answers, but yeah.
0: Thanks. Colleen.
9: Um, I. I have a a general question. um, And that is, you know, you you still not muted. You can't hear me?
0: I can hear you. We were just waving goodbye to Ollie.
9: Oh, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyway, you had asked John about um, um, whether he was just sitting with these feelings or whether he was investigating them. And this has been a question I've asked myself a lot of times and had other people ask me and I would like to know if you have any guidelines on which method would be ideal at which time.
0: Well, uh, so if you're having trouble just dealing with it as it is just sitting with it, then you probably, uh, well, I don't know. It's like, when is the right time to pop a boil? (laughs) Uh, If you, um, if you investigate it and things get worse and, and feel like they're not going in a good direction, then you should probably like, just let it be. But, um, if you investigate it, if you investigate it and you're basically able to maintain some degree of, of objectivity as you're investigating and not get sucked into it and, and it feels like it's productive, then I think it's good to investigate it. I, Honestly, for me, this is extremely um, intuitive practice. Like, it's it's not something that I have a a set of rules about how I do it. Like, for me, generally speaking, when I notice something to be investigated, I just automatically start investigating it. Like, I don't even make a choice. It's just that's what happens. Um, And so, uh, and if sometimes something will come up and I won't automatically start investigating it, and that's because I don't have enough objectivity to see that I need to investigate it. So, um, so maybe that's part of, maybe that's a protective mechanism. I don't know. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I I think you, you basically need to be experimental about this. Um, I haven't had the experience of like digging into something and discovering that I was sorry I dug into it ever. Um, but that doesn't mean that you can't have an experience like that. Um, so, you know, I, I've had experiences where like You know, I notice something and I dig into it and it's like, have you ever had the feeling of like pulling off a slightly infected scab and you're just like, ew, you know what I'm talking about? Um, Sometimes I dig into it and that's what I find. And that's like, you know, it's actually very like, you know, when you pick off an infected scab and you have that reaction, the next reaction is, oh, I'm going to wash it off and and maybe it'll heal better now. So it's kind of a good outcome. So generally speaking, I've, I've, uh, I, I can't really, say anything against investigating, but you know, you, you need to, you need to be your own guru in this because just because I say that it's safe to investigate for me, doesn't mean that it's safe to investigate for you. You always have to be thinking critically about that. And if something feels unsafe, then, then, uh, maybe do it with somebody there with you so that if you find yourself, you know, going off into a crying jag or, you know, like, like, uh, some kind of, like if, you, if you're feeling, if you suddenly find yourself feeling really depersonalized, then then some human touch can be really helpful. Um, so. Sorry, that wasn't a very uh, definitive answer, but.
9: No, that, that was good. I just, you know, just um, was trying to sort that out. Thank you. Mm,
0: sure. See no hands up. Does anybody else want to bring anything up? John, did you feel like we, you know, I mean, I i basically gave you a fairly short answer, so it, it seems like you're pretty much on a good track, and everything that you said made sense to me. So I'm not sure that there's a longer no. answer required. Yeah. Oh, I was referring to John, not Jan.
8: Oh. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> oh, Jan, Jan. Jan yeah. Well, thank, No, yeah, I just. You know, absolutely. No, things are things are good. This is great. so I love it's great to hear the different perspectives. Um, I would I would wonder. You know, it's been pretty good so far. But I think almost everybody at some point experiences stretches of difficult times where it's not going great. And I expect that I'm sure that it happens because that's what happens in life uh, in general. And um, I would wonder what um, any thoughts about when. So, like is it, is it Jan, Jan, you Jan or John, Jan? How do I pronounce your name? Jan. Jan, okay. I just want to make sure I get there right. So, Jan, um, when you have a, a, you know, it sounds miserable. I'm, I, I'm, You know, it sounds like what you're going through is really un, unpleasant, and obviously that doesn't mean that it's, you shouldn't, you know, you should stop doing what you're doing. Um, I do wonder whether or not there's a, and maybe this is a, just a general question, where, when when do you draw the line between like, like you were saying, if it gets worse, if you investigate it and and it's not getting better or it's too painful to pursue or it doesn't, you know, this is going on for five days. At what point, you know, it doesn't stop for a long time. You hear about people having these difficult times for months and years sometimes. And at what point, um, I guess my first question, when somebody would tell me about how there is something really negative is is this the thing that you're, you know, in a, in general, able to kind of feel like, yeah, I can handle this. This is awful. I don't like this, but you know, I'm going to be okay. Or is it something that's really getting, you know, getting to the core of how you're feeling about yourself right now to the point where it could be really a, a major deal. So, and, and, and um, what you're describing sounds like it could, you know, I'm not sure where that is for you. Certainly that would be the kind of thing where if it was, if the type what you're feeling is really really severe and really rocking you to the to your bedrock, you know, at what point would you actually try to like maybe reach out and get some additional help or something like that? And that's, uh, I've always wondered about that like like that kind of thing. So and I don't know if anybody has any, any. This would be a discussion to have about when when you need to like stop doing what you're doing or do something different or get some help. And and this and this looks like the kind of Forum where you you're getting help. <laughs> Obviously, you because it's, it's such an isolating practice in this way I mean, you do this by yourself all the time for hours and hours and hours. And sometimes it can feel like you're um, kind of isolated in, in in your own head, so to speak. Or you know. Um, so I'll I'll stop. So
3: I can start with answering that. That the first thing is. Um, did, it depend. it just depends. It depends on how overwhelming the material is you're confronting. It depends how prepared you are to sort of, um, sort of sit with and experience the feeling. And yeah, you can have something that is just a huge deal and you can, and you can know ahead of time, like, oh yeah, no, I had this serious trauma and, you know, lead me to, led me to be in suicidal in the past or I used to be suicidal and I don't, you know, I don't know if I felt like fully dealt with it, but it's still kind of there, but I'm just kind of uh, staying busy, right? And if that was the case, well, okay, that's gonna affect your decision-making about what type of supports you're gonna get. Um, and with this practice, uh, fundamentally, what you're doing is you're, you're letting go of some of your defenses. And you are facing things that you've not fully dealt with, right? Um, you found some way to, in some sense, try to forget it, put it aside, some way of kind of really just not fully facing it. Um, And in this practice, you inevitably face this stuff, right? Um, Or you don't face it, it ends up being roadblocks, right? It ends up being kind of you know, you you get kind of stuck, you kind of plateau. But the fundamental arc of I think of the practice is just getting more, more present, also more vulnerable and vulnerable meaning just uh, willingness to feel. And through that process of feeling things out, being more vulnerable, you actually you work at um, taking away that second arrow that the Buddha talks about. It's like, yeah, there's the, you know, the shit that happens in life that kind of sucks, you don't like, but you stop adding on to it. Um, you know, whether it's uh, judgmental stuff or wrong perceptions about what you think this means about yourself, what you think it means about the life, you, you let go. Um, so, yeah, so you are more and more, um, facing stuff that you never felt and you never faced um and but but when you're doing it of course throughout the process you just have to be attentive to what's you know what seems to be too overwhelming um and also be it's good to be aware of like you know what uh what level of supports do you have if you started experiencing emotional difficulties um you know difficulties in practice. We are yes a forum sort of for support, um, but the more supports you have, uh, the more kind of fearless you can be. The more experience you have facing this stuff and and coming to uh, resolution, like oh yeah, I could face this. I could I could I I can deal with it, and it's not so bad. That builds its own confidence, um, and which. Then it sort of encourages the whole process.
6: Yeah, and um, I would say in my case, um, it's not like it's shaking me to the bones. Um, I do. I it like during. I I would never quit meditation um, because I think like meditation is the part that's going well. Um, and it's more of the cushion that's like harder, um, I find. Um, but like, it could be f- fruitful to get like professional help. Of course, I wouldn't know. Um, maybe that's also with me the case. Um, um, but yeah, I, 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 I'm I, not sure when I would like necessarily take those steps. I think that would be if it's, uh, if it's keep keeps coming up like consistently, then maybe I would consider it, but also give it some time and patience. I think that as well. And then more like now talk about it. I think like talking about it is also helpful. Um, That's why I brought it up. Um, And um, yeah, I, I do think in this case, like I've had like awakening experiences. So I think that helps as well. Um, with dealing with it um, on the cushion, Uh, definitely off the cushion as well a bit, but um, yeah, that's that's more of a challenge to always integrate it into daily life. Um, But yeah.
2: Thanks. Thanks. So Tom has his hand up. Yeah. um, Along the lines of investigation, I just wanted to toss out a practice that I have found helpful. I just put a link to it in the chat. It's just a post on Reddit. Take care, Gilbert. Thanks for being here. Um, it's, uh, It's basically looking to see what you feel, looking to see what's going on, and then asking what's underneath that, and doing that over and over and over. I wound up, it doesn't, the guy doesn't give a name for it in his description, but I decided to call it onion peeling, um, because it feels like peeling an onion, and like you said, Ted, there's no bottom to it. You never get to the center of the onion. Um, But I have found that practice very useful, and just wanted to throw it out.
0: Thanks. Yeah, our stream entry is a really great uh, resource for that kind of stuff. And this this post looks I haven't I haven't seen this post before because I a while back stopped reading our stream entry. But uh, thanks for pointing that one
7: out.
5: I just want to vouch for what Tom just posted. I've been doing this uh, this practice for ten minutes. of each sit and uh, I went from not being able to identify any emotions basically when I sit ever um, to like two months later I can clearly identify like two word labels for whatever is happening pretty much at any moment. Very uh, very successful uh, just bringing me closer to uh, a meaningful awareness of what's going on emotionally. The practice is a little strange because it's framed as this sort of like means to get into this like type of like presence sort of um state that practice is trying to cultivate uh, but really for the ramp up that i do which is just exactly the part tom described where you just ask what emotion is arising, and then you ask what's underneath that one i really like it because i can do it off the cushion at almost any time and like five minutes is enough to do it ten minutes is enough to do it it's really versatile that way it's really cool
0: Thanks. So, uh, does anybody else want to bring anything up before we close? See you later, Jan. Okay. Nothing heard. Unless, Schultz, are you talking to us? Okay. <laughs> Just checking. Um, All right. Well, it's been great to see you all. Um, I will try to get the audio up in a more timely fashion this time. I'm all caught up now, so it should be much easier. Um, And hopefully I'll see you next week. Take care.